Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want to talk to you today from the topic, Power to the People. This week has been one for the history books. This Monday, May 25th, a black man named George Floyd attempted to use a $20 bill at a local deli in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The employee believed that that bill was a counterfeit, so he called the police. When the police arrived, they claimed that George Floyd physically resisted exiting his vehicle. Although the security cameras seemed to contradict the officer's testimony, we do see that the officers decided to restrain Floyd, and somehow, some way, Mr. Floyd ended up on the ground with the knee of a white police officer on his neck. And as Floyd declared repeatedly that he could not breathe, the officer kept his knee on Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Over and over and over and over again, he declared that he could not breathe but the officer would not relent. See, in the midst of that eight minutes and 46 seconds, nearly three of those minutes towards the end, nearly three of those minutes towards the end, Floyd was completely unresponsive as he lay lifeless in a pool of his own sweat, blood, and urine. The officer wouldn't even remove his knee to take Floyd's pulse. Bystanders were standing on the sidewalk watching much of this encounter, pleading to the other officers. There were four present, pleading that they would let the man breathe. As, as George Floyd began to lose consciousness, he began to call on his mother who passed away two years ago. I can't breathe. But the knee would not be removed. In fact, the more he cried out, the more resolve that officer had to keep his knee on his neck. This was captured on video like many of these incidents are nowadays. And the video has sparked public outrage that is sweeping the nation. Protests that began as peaceful have devolved into violence and looting, first in Minneapolis and now in over 30 cities at the moment of this broadcast. Bottles and debris are being thrown at police officers. Tear gas and rubber bullets are being launched back. Stores are being ransacked. Buildings are being burned down. Our country is probably as divided and polarized as it's ever been. And to add fuel to the fire, everyone has an opinion and a position. The major media networks are offering 24-hour garbage of commentary of the carnage. Social media influencers are offering their opinions on YouTube and Facebook. And many of your co-workers, many of your classmates, many of your friends and family are expressing their outrage in this hour. No doubt many of you that are watching right now are vacillating between a range of emotional positions. Most people that I've encountered, most people that I've talked to, regardless of their race or their color, they are frustrated, they are angry, 
They are saddened or they at least acknowledge that this is a tragedy that did not happen to happen. However, what I found is that most people are split into two different camps. Some see it as an isolated incident. For my friends that are a little bit more colorblind than others, they're saying, you know what? It's just an isolated incident. This is just an incident of, of a cop not following procedure. But then on the other side, there are other friends who believe and argue that this is a racially motivated straw that broke the camel's back. And it's not just about George Floyd, but it's about the countless number of black men and women who are profiled each and every day, and especially those who have been killed by cop. Some are calling for peaceful protest at all costs. Others are advocating violence by any means necessary. Some are condemning the riots and others are applauding the destruction. And many of us who are watching right now are stuck in the middle of conflicting ideas. We want to stand on the right side of history. We don't want to be too silent. We want to be able to speak up, but we want to make sure that what we say is bringing healing and not more destruction. And we want to make sure that we're saying the right things. We want to make sure that we're not too passive, but we don't want to provoke and to do something that we can't take back. We're stuck in this place of wondering what should we do. And most of us feel helpless. And then you have all of these voices competing for our attention, competing for our allegiance. Come on my side of this. See things from my perspective. And you have other people saying, see things from my perspective. But beloved, there is one voice that should override the chatter of everyone else's voice right now. There's one voice that's qualified to judge this thing correctly and baby, it's not on CNN. That talking head is not on Fox News. It's not your favorite politician. It's not your favorite social media influencer. The only voice that's qualified to speak with pure assessment and judgment of this moment is God himself. CNN says this. Fox News says that. But the question that's on my heart is what does God say? My friends think this. My family thinks that. But what does God think, family, on this Pentecost Sunday, like never before, we need a word from the Lord. Which is why it took me a few days to publicly say anything about this topic. It is my personal conviction that we've been given two ears and one mouth for a reason. It is my natural inclination to sit back and to listen before I speak and as a preacher of the gospel, I have been ordained as a mouthpiece of God. And the very act of preaching every Sunday is actually a prophetic act because I cannot speak to you what I have not heard from God. And as an ordained and licensed mouthpiece for him, I am not allowed to speak what I think. But it's my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel to speak what he says. I almost went straight Pentecostal today and wore my collar. Because that collar reminds me that I am constrained to this great gospel. And I am persuaded to only follow him, even if that means going in a direction that is unpopular. The act of preaching should be prophetic. And I know it's difficult in today's culture because everybody loves a sound bite. Everybody loves five keys to success. 
Everybody wants to feel good about themselves, but sometimes preaching will tell you how filthy your soul is. Sometimes preaching will challenge you and you want it to challenge somebody else, but that message is for you and it hits you straight between your heart. The word of God is active and alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut between bone and marrow. The word of God will cut you regardless of your skin color. And preaching in this hour must be prophetic. Might I even suggest that if it's not coming from God, you are not preaching. You think you're just making a bunch of noise. The word prophesy means to speak the mind of God concerning a matter. It means to make representative a declaration of the mind the will and the knowledge of God. When we speak prophetically, we're saying what God thinks about what's happening in the earth. We are representatives when we speak on his behalf and we are declaring not our mind, not our thoughts, not our emotions, but we are declaring the mind of God, the will of God, the knowledge of God. And we're just crazy enough to believe that when we push away the plate, when we get into our prayer closet, that we serve a God who speaks. To prophesy is to be under God's influence and indwelt by him. And let me share this with all of my fellow preachers who have the responsibility of speaking in this hour. And we might have different convictions, but let's make sure that we're only intoxicated on the word of God. That we're not intoxicated by our frustration, and yes, it's real. That we're not intoxicated by our anger. The scripture is clear. It says, be angry, but sin not. At a certain point, we must decrease so that God can increase, and we must say whatever he wants us to say, even if it means that a few people don't like us anymore. To speak the word of God means to be under the influence of his anointing, to be indwelt by him. And a true prophet doesn't speak unless he or she has been released by God. Which is why those of us who are pensive and thoughtful, we can't just tweet the first thing that comes to mind. We can't just post because everybody else is posting and we feel like we should post and we feel like we should say something and we feel like we should do something. We are not allowed to do anything until the Lord leads us to do it. Pastors and preachers are called to be prophetic in this hour. Don't let the pressure of your friends cause you to say something that God didn't release you to say. Prophetic voices, and they come in many shapes and sizes. Sometimes they come from unlikely places. Sometimes they don't come from people of the cloth. They come from people in the streets. And part of hearing from God is being able to hear the cries of people and see what God is saying, even in the midst of their frustration. And prophetic voices must not be swayed by opinions or by emotions or by political preference. Prophetic voices are driven by truth. And sometimes truth can be held in tension. And I know the type of culture we live in. We draw a line in the sand and say, if you're on my team, you got to believe this. Or if you're on my team, you got to believe that. And if you have this political affiliation, you might think that, but you better not express it. Or if you're a liberal, there are certain things that you ought not say unless you want to get canceled. Or if you're a conservative, there are certain things that you, that you ought not say because 
That's not what conservatives say. And, and when you are constrained by the voice of God, you say what God tells you to say. And it might step on somebody's toes, but you're not beholden to a party. You're beholden to the prince. You're beholden to the king. He is the king of kings, lord of lords, president of presidents, governor of governors, mayor of mayors, senator of senators, congressman of congressmen, mayor of mayors, the alderman of aldermen. He is the sovereign and righteous God. And people in the body of Christ, we can't allow the spirit of division and diversion to cause us to lose focus from the one and only true king. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Samuel. In the Old Testament, the prophets were responsible for practical matters and hearing the voice of God, and they would speak on behalf of God, and the people would do what the prophets led them to do, but the winds shifted because people started looking at other nations and they said, we want a king like the other nations. And the prophet Samuel went back to God and he was crying because he said, God, they have rejected me. And God is like, no son, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them a king. But this king is going to send your sons off to war. This king is going to tax you. This king is going to abuse you. And one way or the other, you're going to learn that you need God more than you need man. And sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for because God and his sovereignty and his wisdom will give us what we ask for. He will release us to our folly. But he's still compassionate enough to step in when his people repent. Prophetic voices are driven by truth. And sometimes we can hold attention in truth. For example, I can respect law enforcement officers. I can respect and honor those who wear the badge and not mince my words. I know people that are police officers. But I can also demand that the bad ones be tried criminally when they participate in criminal behavior. I can say both because both are true. See, see, that's what's the problem with our culture. It's like we can't say this because if you say this, then that side won't be filling you. But we have to be able to speak truth wherever it lies on whatever side of the aisle. And I want to release some of you to be able to say, this is my complex opinion, but this is what I believe. And we need to be able to be honest about where we are. You can say that you honor police officers and you can say to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law because they're not above the law. They're not above the law. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And anyone who thinks they're above the law is out of pocket. Sometimes there is a tension. I can love all people of every race and every color. I can treat everyone with respect. I can treat everyone with dignity and still acknowledge that black lives have been historically in this country and systematically undervalued. All you have to do is read the history book and see the trajectory of black people in America to understand why there are people who cry out, black lives matter. And I can embrace and love everybody and say that's not right the way that this group of people are being treated just like I can look at my Latino brothers and sisters and see the things that are going on in their community and say that's not right either and love everybody and acknowledge that everybody has value and everyone deserves dignity we can walk in that tension I can agree with the right to protest 
I can agree with a person's right regardless if they don't believe the same thing that I believe to take a knee. I can believe in their right to show up downtown and to lift their voices and to exercise their right of freedom of speech to be able to declare their passion and their conviction. I may not agree, but they have the right to do it. But I strongly disagree with burning your city down in order to make that point. I disagree with the idea that looting is an opportunity for you to run into the mall and get your Louis Vuitton and get your Apple products that you did not pay for. Because the way I grew up, if you steal, you'll kill. If you lie, you'll steal. It's all a part of the same sin spectrum. So I have a problem with people that will go and take something that doesn't belong to them and still believe in people's right to protest. But, but, but listen, watch this. I can also believe that not everybody that's protesting is looting. Because I saw a statistic this morning in preparation for this message that in Minnesota, almost all of the arrests aren't from people in that community. They're from outsiders who have come in to cause trouble. Because see, I've been a part of a community and I know that every community that's been dealing with issues, they have some old school people. They have some people that know their history. They have elders in every community who stand up and, and try to preach the right thing. And I know that in every protest, there's always someone that says, baby, we don't have to do it that way. There are always peacemakers in the protest. I know it. And I saw some videos of some protesters telling people to stop breaking windows. Because that's not what we're here about. So some of the people that are looting, they just saw an opportunity. Some of the people that are spray painting A's on stuff, anarchy, they just came because it seemed like a party and they like to destroy stuff. That's a demonic spirit that's coming in to try to distract from the real reason that people showed up. And I can stand and say I believe in protests. I can stand and say that I'm against looters. And I can stand and say that it's not right that people would come in and try to co-whip the movement. And there's some evidence that there are some people on the other side of this thing who have planted people to create all of this confusion so that it can look like the protesters are doing what they are clearly not doing. And I can stand and be a Christian and believer and speak all of that and still have the integrity of my person because I am a complex being, an intellectual being. I love the Lord, my God, with my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind, and I can use all of them under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when this body and when this mind and when this heart is submitted to the Holy Spirit, you better watch out. Because the anointing can take you places that your degree can't take you. The anointing can show you things that nobody else can see. And a little bit of common sense will keep you from being a fool when you speak. I can also bring this bit of intellectual information for you. For those of you who don't know, rioting has been a part of American culture since the very beginning. See, this whole thing got kicked off called America with something called the Boston Tea Party, where they destroyed property. The equivalent was $1.7 million of tea was destroyed that day as they declared their desire to be free from unfair taxation. Rioting is in the roots of our country. But see, this is what racism and prejudice does. We look at those people when they riot and they're thugs. But when these people riot, they're patriots. But they're doing the same behavior. 
In fact, in our country, if you win the World Series, if in your city they win the World City, the World Series, and you don't want no trouble, don't go out. Because in this city, you can win the World Series, you can win or lose a Super Bowl, and people will lose their mind. In fact, for all my history majors, all you got to do is go back to 2014. San Francisco Giants won the World Series, and fans set fires, vandalized buses and police cars, shattered windows and businesses. Because riots and protests is as American as, a, as apple pie. Which apple pie really ain't American if you research it. <laughs> That's a whole other message. But if we're going to call things out, let's speak facts and be honest. And if we're going to be outraged with the destruction of property, then let's be even more outraged with the destruction of life. Don't put the two against each other, but hold them in attention. But don't let the destruction of the property distract you from the fact that life has been destroyed. Because if you put one over the other, it makes me wonder, do you care more about buildings? than you do people. So when you are discerning and when you exercise wisdom, you can say, I don't like what the people are doing, but let me exercise wisdom to understand why they're protesting. And the name that's been evoked time and time again, conservatives love to invoke his name, liberals love to invoke his name, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in 1967 said that a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is America? What has it failed to hear? It's failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it's failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and status quo than about justice and humanity. And it's eerie how those words were spoken for 50 years ago. And they still ring true today. And for those of you who wonder, when is he going to take a text? When is he going to pull some scripture? Proverbs 21 and 13 says, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. At times, riot is, is the language of the unheard. And when you continually disregard a population of people, and it's not just black people who are rioting. There are brown people that are rioting. There are white people who are rioting because they are fed up. Because this nation is tone deaf. This nation is blind. I'm going to say this publicly. There's no other nation I would rather live in than the United States of America. But we got issues. And one thing I've learned about life is you got to be honest. Some of y'all know you love your family. But Pookie got issues, auntie got issues, mama got issues. And if you look in the mirror, you got issues too. So, so let's not pretend like this is a perfect place. But when we are honest, we can stand and say, I love this country, but there are some things about it that have got to change. And they are from the pit of hell and they are demonic in their root. Proverbs 13, 21, 13 says, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. See, the scripture teaches seed time and harvest. You reap what you sow and eventually what you have sown. When you've sown blood, when you've sown violence, when you've sown inequity and an injustice, 
certain crops just come up in their own timing. For those of you who need a New Testament reference, let's look at the book of James, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, look here, you rich people. Now, I'm not coming for anybody that's rich. I'm not coming for anybody that has money. I pray that each and every one of us grow to a level of wealth development where we can take care of our families and not have to worry about government assistance. I look forward to the day where we don't have to wait on a stimulus check or unemployment to survive. We need to be self-sufficient. If you're self-sufficient, you need to own property, which is not why I'm not for people burning down property that they don't own. But, but, but listen to what I'm saying. As it speaks about rich people, this scripture is speaking to those who have made mammon their God. Those who get rich or die trying. Those who have personified money to the point that it has become mammon and they serve it rather than serving God and serving people. The scripture says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. And for every person that's made mammon their God, God may not get you on this side, but trust that one day each and every one of us will have to meet our maker. And we're going to have to account for how we lived our lives. And you might think you're getting over the government. You might think you're getting over the poor people. You might think you're getting over everybody else. But one day you're going to meet a sovereign God. You're going to have to give an account for how you lived your life and how you used your wealth and how you treated people and how you disrespected people. And the courts may not convict you. Because justice is aborted often in the courts of law because the reality is, based on who you know, based on who the district attorney is, based on who the prosecutor is, based on how much money you have and your ability to get the best lawyer versus having to settle for a public defender, justice can be aborted because anytime man has his hand on something, it can be corrupted. But let me tell you something about the God of all creation. He never aborts justice and eternity is a long time, baby. And if you have no fear of the eternal God or you feel like he doesn't exist, only a fool says there is no God. Only a fool says there is no creator. And we cannot ignore the hands of men because this mess that we got is stuff that people did. But don't you ever forget there is a just and a mighty God who is watching. He's never lost a battle. And he never misses a mark. Scripture says in verse 4, for listen, listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. L listen to the people that you underpay, yet if your business didn't have them, you wouldn't be able to produce your product. Listen to the people who've been cheated out of a, a workable wage because... Your profit margins are so high, you'd rather distribute it amongst your shareholders rather than distribute to the people that are producing your wealth. Listen to the people who don't have enough money to be able to pay for rent and groceries, working two or three jobs. And don't say they're not hard workers because they're working their fingers to the bone. It's just other people have had different opportunities. And by the grace of God, there go I. 
when we mistreat people, deny them proper health care, when we hike up the insurance rates and we tax medical procedures, there's an internal tax, a profit margin, sometimes tens and twenties and thirties at times higher than the actual cost of the product and we deny people coverage and we'll let them die in the streets. Listen to their cries. Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. Their cries, these cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. And there are all types of corrupt judges in the earth who will ignore the cries of those who are the least of these. But don't you ever forget that there is a God in heaven who hears the cries of those who have been cheated. And those cries reach beyond the reach of man into the heavens, to the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. And in scripture, Bible students, whenever you see that term, Lord of heaven armies, that means God ain't playing with wickedness and injustice. It means that God's not having it. Those are war words. And if you think waging war with people is tough, I thought we saying earlier that he's never lost the battle because he has eternity in his mind and in his scope. And trust me, eternity is far longer than a little bit of time. We'll spend here in the earth and God is a God of justice. He will deal. If not now, then later. Verse 5 says, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you, says the word of the Lord. We serve a God who is concerned about the innocent being killed. We serve a God who is concerned about economic injustice. We serve a God who is not pleased with dishonest scales. We serve a God who is revealed in this scripture that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against wickedness and rulers in high places. Let me speak to some of my Christian brothers and sisters who are far more fundamental in your theology and you just only want to focus on individual moral sin. Yes, I believe that they are moral agents and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and Jesus came to die for our sins. But let us not ignore that sin is a virus that can manifest itself in systems. That there is evil that can attach itself to a system just as a person could be a host for the demonic. Systems can be hosts for the demonic. You want to talk about a demonic system? Let's talk about the education system. The, 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 the school, the prison pipeline. Where black and brown boys are being trained into the penitentiary and then there are private prisons that are profiting over the pain of our communities and we don't have enough money to get our kids laptops for distance learning. In the largest city, in the richest state, the United States of America. Systematic, people doing everything they can to live right, to do the right thing, to perform the right behavior driving, getting pulled over, both hands on the steering wheel, license and registration in the dash, doing everything they can to not make a false move, and yet people are still dying. In their home playing video games with their 
their family members. Police knocking on the wrong door, opening fire in somebody else's house. Folks jogging in a neighborhood, getting gunned down by vigilantes who feel like they can take law in their own hands. God is not pleased with systematic evil and racism Bigotry on any side is a disease and a cancer and a manifestation of sin. Let's call a spade a spade. And we can deal with sins on both sides of the aisle. But let's not sugarcoat one side because it pleases our political agenda. If you're going to speak the truth, speak the truth all the time. For everyone. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, wickedness, and rulers in high places. Evil is organized, systematic, generational. When you go back to the book of Genesis, the moment that Adam ate of that tree, he is the covenant head of mankind. Sin entered through Adam, according to the book of Romans, and passed on to everyone else. That sin that entered through Adam passed on to his son Cain, who committed the first murder found in Scripture. And people have been killing each other ever since because of systematic evil passed on from generation to generation. And here's the danger. Sometimes you can have a virus in your system and not even know it. The danger of the coronavirus is that you can be asymptomatic and still have it and be spreading it. That's the danger of the coronavirus, but let me tell you something about racism. You can be asystematic and spreading it and not even realizing it. And the most vulnerable are dropping like flies because you won't acknowledge that maybe you got it and put on a mask. You won't receive the covering of repentance and acknowledge that I have some blind spots and acknowledge that I don't know everything and acknowledge that I fall short and acknowledge that I need to learn. I'm talking about races of all colors and hues because sin is systematic and sometimes it attaches itself to our family line. Sometimes it's shared through practices and habits and behaviors and lies that somebody told us the law of first truths, and now we're practicing what somebody told us, not realizing that it was a lie from the pit of hell. But this is an hour to challenge falsehood. This is the time to challenge untruths. God is concerned about injustice. So perhaps the unrest that's in our nation right now is warranted. And let me tell you, I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. I don't like the awkwardness. I don't like the uncomfortable nature of conversations that I've been pulled into. This was not a part of my plan. I know some of y'all are saying we just ought to take the year 2020, ball it up, and throw it in the trash. Well, let me tell you something about the God that we serve. He is sovereign. This did not escape his eye. He is sovereign and strategic, and he works all things together. And sometimes you got to take your medicine. Sometimes your surgery is scheduled. Sometimes these things come up to the issues because now is the time to deal with it. Now is the time to take the sword of the giant and cut its head off. Maybe now is the time to really deal with it 
Perhaps all of this unrest is warranted, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. But there's no healing of the land without forgiveness of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins without turning from wickedness. There's no turning for wickedness without prayer and seeking and crying out. So the question is, and I'm talking to believers right now, believers of every color, every hue, believers who are fundamental and Pentecostal. I'm talking to all the Baptist folk who don't do the Pentecostal thing. And I'm talking about all the charismatics who you can't talk to because they're speaking in tongues all the time. The, the question is, will you pause your tongue to allow the spirit of truth to deal with you and how you have contributed to this environment and what you failed to do with your own agency and your own sphere of influence to treat people the way they need to be treated? Will we repent for leaving God out of the conversation? Will we repent for allowing postmodern thinking to rule our community so much so that people are running around casting off all restraints because they have deconstructed authority to the point that they wouldn't know right if it was staring them in their face because with postmodernism, right is wrong, wrong is right. Can we get back to a place of absolute truth? Because somebody's got to call out the moral wrongs. And I'm just old school enough to believe in the word of God. And I know what some of my more liberal brothers or sisters and the school that I went to and the universities that I've attended, they, they have shied away from the word of God. They think it's just a book of stories and moral platitudes. Let me tell you about this historical book. I believe the words in this book and I will govern my lives by them. And as for me in my house, we believe in the word of God and we believe right is right, wrong is wrong. And perhaps, 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 perhaps all the confusion is being fed by the fact that people have lost their moral compass and they're trusting in other gods and other idols that are proven to be false. It's an hour to deal with idolatry. So, so here's the question. How would the church respond in this hour? If we are to be prophetic, then we must hear what's happening in the earth, but we also must hear what's happening in heaven and then act based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, when you become a mature believer, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. You can properly exegete scripture and draw out context, but you can also exegete the culture. You can look at the cries of the people that maybe you don't agree with, but what they're crying out for is a just cause. It's principled, it's sound, and you may not agree with them, but you've got to be able to listen to them and understand what they're saying and extract what they're saying and agree with what's right because it's right. And when you see people acting out the way that they're acting out, God is trying to tell you something, and sometimes he speaks through the language of frustrated people, and we have to go to heaven and discern and say, God, based on what we see, based on what we're watching, based on what we're experiencing, what do you say about this and how are we supposed to move and how are we supposed to act? We must become like the sons of Issachar who understand the times and know what to do. We've got to move past just saying that things are wrong and things are messed up, and there's a season of lament and grief where you commiserate the fact that things are wrong, but I'm of the mindset that we can't destroy, we've got to build. And we've got to be prophetic like the sons of Issachar, understanding the times and knowing what to do. How do you know what to do? You got to get in the word, saints. 
Maybe God disrupted our gathering so we can learn how to seek his face and not another shout, not our favorite preacher. You learn how to get in the word of God for yourself because if you read the book, if you study it, if you sharpen your spiritual discernment, I promise you, he'll give you a word, give you understanding, place you, and connect you with people who believe in his word and hear his voice to help you have guidance for what to do and where to go. We must be led by the spirit. We must become like the sons of Issachar, not just knowing the times, but knowing what to do. And today is Pentecost Sunday, when we traditionally commemorate the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Every good Pentecostal church will preach, shout, dance on Pentecost Sunday. But today it's not a commemoration. We don't need to just celebrate what happened back then. We need to be commissioned for what needs to happen right now. Because all of our shouting and all of our speaking in tongues is of ill effect if we don't know how to treat our neighbor, if we don't know how to treat our communities, if we can't establish and demonstrate righteousness in the earth, then we are grieving the Holy Spirit. See, traditionally we focus on Pentecost because this happens after the resurrection of Christ and right before his ascension. We see Jesus instructing the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where we started today, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want you to look at the screen right now and say power. power. Scripture says you will receive power. Power to the people. But the type of power you need is not the type of power you've been seeking. You need Holy Ghost power. You need Holy Spirit power. Church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is a man of his word. He said, you will receive power. In fact, Jesus is about to give power to the people. He promised that the Holy Spirit would dwell in every believer. The Holy Spirit that he spoke of is in every believer. The Holy Spirit distinguishes us from the rest of the world. The Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us into all truth, knows the very mind of God, and empowers us to live for Christ. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives inside of every believer. Power to the people. And God is saying in this moment, through his son Jesus and the book of Acts, I'm about to distribute power. And guess what? The same power that was within me is now about to be the same power democratized into the people of God. God places his spirit in all those who call on his name and submit to him for salvation. So here's how it went down, y'all, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I've got three points. I'm going to share them, and we're going to be done. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Number one, while the world is getting more divided, the church must become more unified. While the world is getting more divided, the church must become more unified. We've got to become unified. We've got to get on the same page. While the world is getting more divided, we have to get more unified. We got to come together beyond our little denominational ticks. Even today, people are divided because uh, they have different opinions about the work of the Holy Spirit. And some speak in tongues and some don't. Can we agree that the Holy Spirit was recorded in Scripture, that Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit coming? That the Holy Spirit is a necessary component of every believer, whether you speak in tongues or not? Because the greater work is not you speaking in tongues. The greater work is you holding your tongue. The greater work is you treating people the way they need to be treated. Don't speak on tongues on Sunday, and you cussing and fussing and treating people like hell during the week, damaging the witness of the gospel. 
Because you have not learned that the Holy Spirit just doesn't make you run around. The Holy Spirit gives you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy Spirit will keep you from throwing a brick in a window. Your flesh wants to do it, but the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, don't do that. You'll grieve me. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit whom you have received by God. Get rid of the bitterness, rage, and anger. When you hold on to bitterness, rage, and anger for too long, you are grieving the Holy Spirit that God sent on the day of Pentecost. And when we hold on to it too long, we ought to repent because we need the Holy Spirit to give us power. We might have our differences, but this is what we can agree on. Prayer and praise will unify. Prayer and praise will unify. We may not agree on everything. We may not agree on the strategy, but can we get together and pray? Can we worship? Can we seek the face of God? And maybe as we come together seeking the face of God and not our positions, not our denomination, but seeking him, maybe he'll show up in the midst because he inhabits the praises of his people. And if he shows up in the praises and the prayers of his people, he'll give the strategy that connects everyone because the Holy Spirit is always right. Not us as people in our flesh. Prayer and praise will unify in this hour. And where there's unity, God commands a blessing. And when the righteous are in rule, the city rejoices. Verse 2 continues, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Underline that word violent. There is a holy violence that we need to look for. No, 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 not the violence of somebody going upside your head with a rock. Not the type of violence that says that I need to go and find police officers and, and, and bring justice to them. I'm not talking about the type of violence that's going to cause you to go and register your gun so that you can walk around like the big man on campus just in case somebody wants to mess with you and make your day. I'm not talking about that type of violence. I'm talking about the violence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is violent in the best type of way. He will rush into situations and establish his presence and make himself known and shake everybody to the core. It will arrest their attention perform a miracle in the midst of their situation. Scripture says that there was a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. In fact, prayer is an act of spiritual violence. You read the scripture, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for the pulling down the strongholds. Uh, prayer is not for weak people. Prayer is aggressive. Prayer is assertive. Prayer is spiritual warfare. When we pray and we praise, we're doing damage to the kingdoms of darkness. The scripture says that when that violent rushing wind appeared, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Here's point number two. While violent winds of division and fire are destroying cities, the church must allow the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit to rebuild us. While people are destroying cities, with winds of division and fires burning down buildings, the church must allow the wind of the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit to rebuild us. The world destroys, the church edifies. The only thing that we're pulling down in this hour are strongholds. We're pulling down every high thought that seeks to, to exalt itself above the name of Christ. We're pulling down faulty arguments with the weapons of our warfare but we're not destroying things in the natural we're building them because even in Babylon you got to build you got to produce you got to multiply and you got to pray the wind of the Holy Spirit the fire of the Holy Spirit is building and edifying the Christ so that we can build because when the Spirit gets a hold of you he gives strategies he gives creativity 
He tells you what to do, where to go, what to establish, what strategy you need. We need the Holy Spirit to edify us in this moment. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit animated the early church. They were sitting, and they were still grieving the fact that Jesus was gone. But the Holy Spirit showed up like a mighty rushing wind, and they came alive. The Spirit animated them. The Holy Spirit blew. When God formed mankind from the dust, it was the breath of God that animated humanity. The word spirit translates to pneuma, which means breath. And in that upper room, the breath of God, the pneuma of God invaded that gathering and they were endued with power. We need the breath of God to blow on our nation. But before God blows on a nation, we need him to blow on us. Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. We're putting standards on everybody else to get better and everybody else to live righteously. And we as a people are jacked up personally and privately. And God is saying, if you want the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow on your life, ask him right now to blow on me and revive me. If you're a believer and you're living in wickedness and you know it, ask the Holy Spirit to blow on you and to revive you. Because before we can see revival in the land, there must be repentance in the pews. There must be repentance in the church. There must be repentance in the midst of those who claim to know God and love God. Judgment begins at the house of God. God asked Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel said, Lord, only you know. I asked the Lord, Lord, can America overcome its racism? Or rather, the Lord is asking me, can America overcome its systematic ills and the diseases that have plagued it for its years of existence? And I'm looking at God saying, only you know. Only you know, God, if this thing can be healed. Only you know, but I'm reminded of what he told to Ezekiel. He said, prophesy over these bones. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus the Lord says to these bones, I will bring you back to life with my breath, says the Lord. And as Ezekiel prophesied according to the word of the Lord, those bones begin to rattle and the muscles and the skin begin to come together. And out of those bones arose a mighty army. The breath of God, the spirit of God can rebuild and restore what the enemy has destroyed. What we need right now is the spirit of God. Verse 4 says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Let me help you understand this moment. We're not talking about the personal private tongue that we use in our prayer life with words unspoken and unknown in order to uh, express and communicate with God and allow him to speak to us. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a bona fide miracle. Y'all only speak one and a half languages, two languages. I speak English and sometimes I speak in tongues. I studied Hebrew, I studied Spanish, but don't ask me to speak it, I'm not fluent. But the miracle of this moment is that me not knowing French, after the Holy Spirit fell and dwelled, I began in this moment to speak French, although I had never studied it. And I didn't quite know what I was saying, but I was glorifying God in my words. 
And then the scripture indicates that there was someone from France, I'm just giving you a hypothetical, who happened to be there because there were Jews from every nation under heaven who were come together for Pentecost for this feast. And that person, their native tongue is French. And they're understanding what I'm saying as I'm prophesying about the goodness of God, the glory of God, the, the reality of who Christ is. And they're understanding what I'm saying. I don't speak French, but I'm speaking it. And they're understanding me and saying, this is a miracle. There's no way that person could know that. That's what happened in that moment. It was a miracle of language and dialect. And we know that language and dialect sometimes divide culture. Sometimes your culture is divided by your language your geographic location, where you grew up, where you found yourself and your culture. This represents all these cultures being in the same place, but here was the miracle of Pentecost. Every nation and language was there, but they witnessed a twofold miracle. On one hand, these believers were speaking in other known languages, but here's the other half of the miracle. The crowd was understanding the message in their own language. During Pentecost, we tend to emphasize the miracle of speaking in tongues, but we neglect to focus on the miracle of a diverse group of people hearing and understanding the tongues that are being spoken. The miracle was in the translation, not just the tongue. The miracle was in the fact that their ears were open to be able to hear. My third and final point, in a world of division and confusion, the church must pray for people to supernaturally hear the truth of the gospel, that we would hear the gospel regardless of our race, creed, nationality, or background. The miracle is not whether or not people are going to speak up for righteousness. The miracle is whether or not people that have been living in unrighteousness, those who have been in darkness, are going to open their ears to hear. But I serve a God that when his Holy Spirit moves and empowers his people, that he can open the ears of those who have been deaf. We serve a God who can speak to the dry bones through a prophet, and they, those bones come alive and live. We serve a God. Even in this tone-deaf society of sound bites and political preferences, the Holy Spirit can speak through the right people. And miraculously, ears can hear what they never heard before. And it'll be a miracle, y'all, if we can see healing and reconciliation in the midst of all this tension. But I believe in the God of miracles. And as long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to believe in the power of the pneuma the Holy Spirit, to unite in the midst of division. Sometimes you got to have a Martin Luther King anointing. Martin Luther King, in his imperfection, was prophetic. He said, I may not get there when you get there, but I've seen the mountaintop. We talk about his dream. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, of people who, Hebrews chapter 11, of people who served God by faith and never saw the promise in their lifetime, but they played their part. They played their role. They did what they were supposed to do. And the God of eternity, because he's working this thing out from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, he's Alpha and Omega. It's not over until God says it's over. I need you to know that God is concerned with what's going on. But we need the Holy Spirit. I need you right now in your houses. I need you to take a moment for just a few minutes. I'm over time. But we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us. I watched Bishop Von McLaughlin the other night, midnight, Friday night, talk about the Holy Spirit. And too often, we only focus on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit in the context of speaking in tongues. Right now, I want to push you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, not so you can speak in tongues, but so that you can use your tongue for healing in this hour. I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us to know what to do in our communities. The Holy Spirit would fill us 
so that we can know how to handle all of this hostility, that the Holy Spirit would fill us so we can be bearers of reconciliation and peace. The Holy Spirit would fill us so we don't allow our anger and our frustration to disregard our brothers and sisters who have a different hue because they are our brothers and sisters, even if they don't understand. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Father, I pray now for a filling of the Holy Spirit for every person under the sound of my voice. This is not a moment that I'm going to labor, but Lord, you're going to tarry with them in their context. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, fill them with your spirit. If they've had bitterness, fill them with hope. If they've had anger, fill them with the compassion. If they've been hurting, fill them with healing right now. In the name of Jesus. Fill them right now. Fill them. Fill them. If it's their desire and they want that feeling, fill them right now. They want to be saved right now. They've never heard the gospel articulated. I'm still preaching the gospel. I believe in Jesus as a historical figure who claimed to be the son of God. I believe that. I believe he died on a cross, a literal cross, a real cross. I believe he died a literal death. I believe in his resurrected body. I believe that he's sitting on the right hand of the Father right now praying for you to get saved with your crazy self and submit to the God who is concerned about justice. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. God is concerned with unjust scales. He's concerned with all that's going on. But we learned a few weeks ago in the midst of this COVID crisis that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. You might have a problem with the problems that you see. There's a term called theodicy. It's the reality that we still serve a loving, benevolent God when bad things happen to good people. If you understand the sovereignty of God and you understand the sinfulness of man, then maybe you could logically wrap your mind around the reality that sinful people do sinful things and broken things and, and, and broken people break others which is why we pray for our enemies. So here's what I'm going to do right now is we've asked the Lord to fill us with the Spirit. Maybe the Lord filled you with the Spirit right now so that you can embrace this prayer. I'm going to pray for the family of George Floyd. I'm going to pray that his death is not in vain. I'm going to pray that proper justice comes to every single person who's culpable. I'm going to pray that they properly charge those officers according to what happened. Nothing more, nothing less. But I'm also going to pray for the family of the officer. And if right now you're feeling like it don't take all of that, then you need to repent. Because the God I serve is a God of forgiveness. If you're looking at the screen right now and say, there he go again with that forgiveness talk. Then my brother and my sister, you don't understand the gospel. And we have two different worldviews. Because there is no gospel without forgiveness. There is no cross without forgiveness. Our debt was paid through the blood of Jesus, this historical figure that we place our trust in. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, but willing to speak truth to power. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for how you're moving. I thank you for the healing that's taking place because of your spirit and your work meeting people in their homes. I thank you for those who've asked for a filling of your spirit. You've given it to them. Maybe they are speaking in tongues right now for the first time. We praise God for that, but if they're not, we're trusting that your spirit is still working. And if they haven't committed to Christ, Father, let this be a divine moment where they submit to Jesus right now. Let them make you, your son, Lord and Savior over their life. 
As they confess their sins and acknowledge their sinfulness and their brokenness, Father, I pray that they would give their life to you right now, that they confess in their mouth and believe in their heart. You're pouring out your spirit on all flesh. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let salvation come now in this hour. Father, we pray for the family of George Floyd and the incomprehensible grief that they're dealing with right now. They didn't ask for their brother, for their father, for their family member to be killed in the streets. Unless we've been through it, we can never fully fathom the pain that they're going through, but strengthen them right now. Let them be a prophetic voice. Let them grieve properly too, because they need to grieve. But Lord, wherever they go, let there be a grace on their life. As everything that I've seen shows that he was not a perfect man, none of us are perfect. Father, thank you for not going into our files and digging up every little thing that we've done to try to use it against us. You are the type of God who is compassionate. You cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. I thank you that he was a professing Christian. There are testimonies of him dragging baptismal pools to parks so that people could be baptized. Thank you that his witness speaks even now from the grave. And Father, I pray that some would come to know you as Lord and Savior as he professed you as Lord and Savior. Father, we pray for his family. We pray for those who are, who are hurting and who are protesting because they feel passionately about this. Father, would you bring healing to their hearts? Help them. Those who are tired on the front lines, help them. Those who are dealing with the injuries of protest, heal them. Let the healing be a testimony of your divine work Save people on the front lines. Raise up missionaries in the protests. Righteous indignation, but still leading people to Christ. Let there be some demonstration in the next seven days of grace and hope that proves, dear God, that there's still light in the midst of darkness. Only you can perform this act, Father. We look forward to seeing it on the news. We look forward to hearing the report of it in the name of Jesus. We pray for that officer who put his knee on the neck of that man. We pray your mercy. As we ask for justice, we pray your mercy on his family. Father, I pray that you protect his children, that you protect his ex-wife, that you protect those who are connected to him because we bless those who spitefully use us. We pray for even those whom we deem to be our enemies. Let him be accountable for what he did but let not others suffer for what they didn't do. And Father, somehow, some way, you've saved people in jail cells. You've reformed people behind bars. We see it all the time in our community. Father, I pray that we'll hear some testimonies of some, some police officers who are repenting for their excessive force, dear God. Oh, Lord, how much healing would that bring to have a well-known white police officer speak up and repent on behalf of their own actions and the actions of others. Father, we need healing in this moment. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will be in work in ways that we can never fathom or imagine. Father, thank you for this time. And as we sing this final song, let your compassion, let it flow. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>